Hello, and welcome to episode 19 of the Vegan Business Tribe podcast with myself, David Pennell, co-founder of Vegan Business Tribe. Now, I'm actually going to cut my normal introduction short today. You'll probably be glad to hear, because if you've already looked at the episode length, you'll have seen that today's episode, it's quite a bit longer than usual. And that's because we're doing something a little different with this one. Today... I'm bringing you a recording of a live panel discussion that I hosted a couple of weeks ago with VegFest UK. And if you're a long-time listener, you'll know that Vegan Business Tribe have teamed up a number of times now with VegFest UK. And because these live-streamed sessions, they're usually about an hour long. So in the past, I've broken them over two separate podcast episodes of about 30 minutes each. However, when I listened back to the recording of the one I'm going to share today... I just wanted to bring it to you in its entirety, in just one session, because what we're talking about in this panel, it is so important. In business, we talk mainly about success, and I'm as guilty as this as anybody is. But what about failure, debt, mental health pressures of being in business, or working when you've got a hidden disability, or you know, dealing with major setbacks and changes? These are all also part of business, but we rarely talk about them. These are the taboos that nearly everyone has to face at some time or other, especially if you run your own business, but few people talk about or share their experiences. Which is why I was honoured to be joined in this session by three vegan business owners who have all faced some of these challenges and they've survived to tell the tale. And it includes the co-founder of hugely successful vegan frozen pizza company, One Planet Pizza. And that's Mike Hill. And he joins us to talk about his first vegan restaurant business. And that ended when the debt collectors started taking anything that wasn't bolted down. We're also joined by the founder of vegan men's grooming range, King's Grooming. And that's Blue O'Connor. And he was just on the verge of signing their biggest ever deal to supply Virgin Atlantic with duty-free when the pandemic hit. And so since then, he's been focused on a number of different projects, including his own men's mental health organisation, which was born from Blue's own struggles with his mental health. And finally, I'm also joined by my Vegan Business Tribe co-founder, Lisa Fox. And now Lisa talks about running two successful vegan businesses whilst also coming to term with being diagnosed with a hidden disability. And she's looking to bust the myths that you can't run a business if you are autistic. And as I always say, if you want to go beyond the podcast and connect with our community of like-minded vegan entrepreneurs, then after you finish listening, head over to veganbusinesstribe.com, which is where you can also find the video recording of this panel discussion if you prefer to watch instead of listen, as well as lots more great free content. Okay, as I said, I've not cut this session into two because there's just so much important information in this one. It does mean this episode is about twice as long as our standard ones, but to be honest, I could have easily spent an hour chatting with each guest individually. So let's head over to VegFest UK online for our live streamed panel discussing the things we don't talk about in business. 
Mike is our first panelist, and uh, uh, Mike, we've had the pleasure of you talking and being part in one of our previous panels. And I think it's fair to say that with everything that's been going on in the world, business failure is actually a very timely topic because many businesses have been forced to adapt to survive, but not every business has been able to do that. Uh, one Planet Pizza, though, I think you're actually really fortunate that you just mm. launched your countrywide home delivery service when the pandemic hit. Yeah, absolutely. And also very fortunate that we, we're not in food service at all, whereas, you know, we're very close to some other brands who are 95% 90, in food service. And obviously, if you're in food service, then it's a totally different matter. Fortunately, we weren't in food service at all. Pretty much all our pizzas are sold through independent health stores who have done pretty well during this. But the ones that have stayed open, they've actually, I think, been busier as well as you know online on the cardo but as you mentioned we'd also in january we're not knowing anything about covid just literally launched the opp direct the d2c model so it'd been up and running for a couple of months albeit very very quietly before um you know, everything took off um in a, in a negative sort of way in march and april absolutely and i think that was a brilliant um you know just a very fortunate bit of time yeah. um, was but, more fortunate than brilliant david yeah <laughs> no, absolutely but i mentioned in your introduction mm. that people they do look at one planet pizza and they they hold yourself and joe up as the embodiment of successful vegan entrepreneurs but from my own experience you know and i've been in this game for you know quite a long time myself now success is like an iceberg people see business success yeah. and they think that it just happened overnight especially with you know some of the vegan companies at the moment but they don't see the years that led to that success now what is the same with yourself yeah definitely i mean one planet pizza was actually I was just thinking about is the fifth business that I've um, set up wow. over the last 30, um, 35 years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of experience, a lot of trial and error and a lot of failures that help get you to the point. And I think it's always um, because obviously most people only ever see the social media, the press releases and things that go out. And everyone thinks that you know all vegan businesses are are growing massively and making big profits and the reality is that it's you know it's still incredibly tough to get a pro get a business up and running in a sustainable way and bring it to profitability it really is and it's probably going to get tougher because as we talked about before we've got a lot of the the big boys uh, the meat and dairy industry uh, companies and uh, pretty much all now are getting into our space and they've got some massive advantages over us in terms of scalability, route to market, finance. Um, you know, we have we've, a classic example is that we've been asked to we're looking at expanding into Germany, and we've been like, asked to price match uh, a frozen vegan pizza made by a company that's called Garden Gourmet. Um, and it sounds like a nice, you know, small family-run uh, vegan pizza business. Uh, who makes it? Nestle. Yeah, and, absolutely. And they're asking us to match price against, you know, a, a Nestle company, which is probably being made and, and you know, a million pizzas are being made down in Italy in a massive uh, factory. So it's very it's getting more and more challenging, I think, even though the market is growing increasingly, we're coming up against some some very large and experienced businesses. 
I think you're 100% right there because a lot of these smaller plant-based brands, they are being bought up by Nestle and Unilever and they've got all this experience behind them. They've got the money behind them. Yeah. Um, but, but before we go into that, it was interesting what you said about the number of businesses you've had before mm. One Planet Pizza because even Richard Branson, you know, he's had more businesses that have failed and are not here yeah. today than he's had successes. But I know we're specifically talking about one of our very early businesses, yeah. which was the Cotton Club, I believe. So yeah. just tell me yeah. a, a little bit about what this was. Yeah, so the Cotton Club was a, a vegetarian vegan restaurant, which I opened back in 1986, 87 um, in Norwich, fresh out of university. Myself and a friend, we were both vegan, um, which back then, you know, there weren't many of us uh, around. Uh, and we knew we couldn't do a vegan restaurant. So it was vegan and vegetarian, but it was also non-smoking and played live jazz. So you couldn't get much more niche for the mid eighties um, because you know people forget that in those days, people were still smoking in restaurants. I think they were still smoking in airplanes, in cinemas, all these places, which probably a lot of people listening to this have thought, my God, you know, I, I didn't realize people could smoke in all these places. So to launch a no smoking restaurant that was vegetarian and vegan at the time when I think you know, the, the, number, the, the amount of vegans was down at 0.01%, within the country. Vegetarians, I think at the time, because we put together a business plan, were sitting at about eight, ten percent of the population. Uh, but people hadn't even heard of veganism back there. So it was definitely a jump in the, you know, a leap of faith and a jump in the dark. Absolutely. So I'm guessing with, with this 80s veggie jazz cafe restaurant with non-smoking as well, I'm guessing that was a huge hit and you just had people flocking in. <laughs> we did for the first night. But that's because the food was uh, free and it was mostly friends and family. Um, no, I think like most a lot of businesses, uh, we got a lot of publicity and it was fairly busy to start off with. But then we realized that a lot of the people who liked the jazz wanted to smoke. A lot of the vegetarians and vegans didn't like the jazz. Um, so we had created something which was you know, incredibly niche. And also we had overstretched ourselves. It became apparent quite quickly in terms of the size of the place that we'd taken on because we'd taken on an old, an old jewelers actually in Norwich, beautiful building. Um, but it, we ended, it was about 70 covers, um, you know, which was just too large. And I think, you know, looking back now, we'd, we'd done an incredibly good job at raising some money, some personal savings some investment from friends and family. We managed to, I remember, amazingly get uh, to get a bank loan. God knows how, because, you know, we were relatively inexperienced and we put, put together the business plan ourselves. But Lloyd's Bank, I remember our bank manager, you know, lending us £20,000 and me just being amazed that anyone would do that in such a risky um, a risky venture. So we, we, we spent the money, I think, um, not particularly wisely some of the things that we spent on we we could have done it you know a lot smaller and a lot more this uh, concept i talk about quite a lot this mvp this minimal viable product we should have started a lot smaller and just tested it rather than putting all our money in and not keeping any cash you know for um for the past the first three months really Absolutely. And I think in business, you, you just mentioned NVP best, you know, yeah, minimal viable uh, product. Mm -hmm. And it's only important that you put money into something in business that you've already proven, but you're putting that yes. money in to, to, to scale it up and make more of it. So, uh, so you started out with this uh, 20 grand uh, bank loan. Yeah. Uh, how long did that last? How long did it take? 
I think we'd spent pretty much all the money um, within the first three three months. I think we were trying to do it all on about fifty thousand uh, in in total, and probably you know, half of that went straight away on the the fit out and equipment kitchen um, and some pre opening marketing. Mm. Uh, and so we only had you know, twenty thousand buffer say to get us over those first few months and within three to four months things became started becoming incredibly incredibly tight we opened i remember as well in um in, in i think it was april may and it was fine uh, but during the summer we didn't have any outdoor seating and uh, it, it started getting you know very quiet through those um, summer months and and then it picked, started picking up again a little bit in in october but by then I think it was it had become apparent that you know, we had too many overheads and you know, we'd got a lot of things right wrong sorry and uh, and as I said it was just hey it was it, it was either you know much too niche or it definitely was much too niche and it was definitely 20 30 years ahead of its time I think I think absolutely yeah so you could see what was happening the, the writing mm. was on the wall as you say um, and I know that the business did pretty much run out of money in about six months but yeah did you did you have the temptation just to try and keep it going you know to go out there and find more money or get into more debt yeah we did we did but I think myself and I, I did it with um, you know a good friend as I say and, and, and business partner and I think I think it just wore us down um, trying to operate and I remember you know some specific things that are happening we were just trying to operate on so much by a day by day you know, hand by foot experience we were literally I remember there was a few evenings where we just hadn't brought the food in that was on the menu and as an order came in we would literally run out the back and pop round to the Tesco's and and get you know get the get the chips or whatever it was getting that bad it really was that we just didn't we didn't want to change the menu and had to get rewrite it but we couldn't afford to get the stock in even for that evening and for you know something that was perhaps unusual on the menu so that we were sending people running out to get the food literally as the orders uh, were were coming in and we were trying to keep going until christmas because we knew that um, you know christmas would be would be good so we and we we just about managed that but before i remember starting before we started the christmas menu things started um you know disappearing from from the restaurant um and i guess that's when we knew and, and the customers started when i say disappear and i don't just mean disappear into thin air um, some of the creditors that we still owed money for were coming in and taking stuff out of the restaurant and that's when it really started hitting home classic example was piano i, I turned up for one evening shift and uh, the piano disappeared and uh, the and piano was the end of your jazz, <laughs> jazz yes, yeah, yeah, the live jazz, jazz anyway um, yeah absolutely so, so we, i mean Sorry, Mike, just your bit. I mean, these, these are absolutely amazing stories, but you can laugh about it a little bit now, you know, and we can talk about it. But at the time, what effect was that having on you of the business going through this and having to shut down? And, and I know especially that you were left with quite a lot of debt to carry as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is it's it is tough emotionally because we put about um, six to eight months worth of planning, as I say, with um, bizarrely, I put in, I've managed to, in those days, students actually got grants you know and, and uh, could live reasonably well and because i was living on a very much a whole food plant-based diet at university 
I was literally buying sacks of rice and it was very different. There wasn't any sausages, burgers and ice cream. So we were living on rice and lentils, making our own bread, you know, a lot of fruit and, and veg. And, and I actually managed to save several thousand pounds. So even though I was relatively young at the time, I had put in pretty much everything that I'd managed to save into this, this business. Plus there was one or two friends that had put in some money and the bank loan. Uh, you know, which was personally secured with myself and the other business partner. So I do remember even, you know, that I mean, I love a challenge and and it, it's great, um, you know, being up against the wall and having to, to deliver on on things under pressure. But I think it just got um, you know too much in, in the end. And it was I think it's really important to know, you know, when you need to to start thinking about uh, the exit strategy, for want of a better word. Absolutely. And I think it, you know, a business failing, that is something that as business owners, we all really do fear that because it seems mm. like it's such a, a definite end to a journey. But as you are living proof, you know, often that failure can be the start of something else. So why do you think there is such a stigma around businesses failing? Do you think it's I don't because... Know. I mean, uh, people always say it's very much a UK thing. It's totally different in America, isn't it? That it's almost... Um... Know, something which is, is is just accepted and if you're successful first time round with your business then that is the exception i think other countries other cultures have have a much better view you you try things out and perhaps one in three one in five will get through and in the restaurant business uh, especially the, the, it's a really high percentage that's going to get through the first 12 months you know it's up to 30 40 50 percent of restaurants fail in the first 12 months so i just don't think we should be surprised that there are so much um, you know failures and perhaps failures aren't the um you know aren't, aren't the right word for it and we will probably talk about how we managed a debt in the in the, in, a, in a little while but if you try something and it doesn't succeed and you have to then change adapt and come back to it in a different way as long as you haven't uh, you know, left a, a trail of debt behind you and broken promises, then I, I don't think it should really be seen as a as a failure. Yeah, and, 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 you know, and I think um, there's a lot of people out there who who are who, who will talk quite often about business ideas. And but to the people that actually take that idea and give it a go are incredibly brave. Uh, they really are. So I think to to so I, to, to, to talk about these people as being failures is uh, you know absolutely wrong absolutely and i think one of the reasons we don't like to talk about it is because as you just said you know people take it on personally they see it as a personal failing mm -hmm. not just a business failing but one thing i, I just just to wrap up mike so we are doing um, quite short interviews on this yeah. but do you think that if you'd had all the experience that you've got now that you've been able to make the cotton club work you know what advice would you go back and give to 20 year 21 year old mike if you were his business advisor yeah, I think, I mean, the first thing was that we didn't have enough money, um, you know, and, and, and we underestimated how much money that it takes to get particularly something like a restaurant up and running. Even if you're busy at the yeah. beginning, you're going to have quiet periods and you need a certain amount of cash to manage that cash burn over the first um, over the first 12 months. And I think, secondly, I would definitely have uh, I would definitely have started off smaller with less overheads to trial it and make sure that we could make it work. We just went too big too quickly. This lovely venue came up and it just really fitted the whole concept of the Cotton Club um, because it was quite an old building. 
And so you know, we ended up, as I say, with a 70, 70 plus cover restaurant, um, one of the larger restaurants in, in Norwich for something that should have really been probably a quarter or a third of the size. So I think that, that's, that's the two key key messages. And, and I remember th- I then went on to become uh, you know, a salaried I, I, for the next uh, 15, 20 years. I actually then went and worked for other organizations. But I always knew that I'd come back to to running my own business and and once i did then you know then very fairly quickly i set up and uh, and and ran you know two or three different businesses two of which i still own and one of which i've i've sold and i still but i still think back to you know what happened when i was 21 22 and the lessons that i learned from that definitely Absolutely. And that's amazing to hear, Mike. And I think especially if, if someone's going through a similar thing at the moment, they'll listen to you say that and they'll realise, you know, it, it, as I say quite often, when businesses fail, it can be the start of a journey. Now, Mike, yeah. j- just before I, I move on to Blue as our next uh, interviewee, um, if people want to try One Planet Pizza, uh, where can mm. they go to find out? Uh, where can yeah, they well, obviously, go to buy one? Yeah. yeah, the website. I mean, if you want to buy one, uh, from us, then you come to our website. We've got OPP Direct, and you can order four or five packs. We'll get them to you within a few days. Um, please, you know, it's really important, I think, to keep supporting our independent health stores and whole stores, which are around the country. That's always been our solid base. So we're in about 400, 450 of them across the UK. We've got a locator map on the website. And finally, uh, we're on the Cardo, we're in Whole Foods down in London, we're on the Vegan Kind, which a lot of people listening probably use. So it's it's pretty easy to get a one planet pizza pizza these days. <laughs> That's brilliant to hear, Mike. And thank you so much for that. And, and, and one day we'll maybe have a longer conversation about the Cotton Club. So that's brilliant. So next, uh, we're going to follow hot on the heels that with, with our second guest, uh, Blue O'Connor. And as I mentioned um, in the introduction, uh, people may know Blue as the founder of vegan aftershave company King's Grooming or for the work that uh, he's done with numerous good causes, uh, not just in mental health, but as uh, as a youth mentor as well. Now, now, Blue, before you got into all this, though, you actually started out on a very different career path as an aerospace engineer, I understand. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, Yeah, before I kick into that story, I just want to say I've been getting Mike's pizza from a, a Whole Foods shop in Bristol. Um, and I agree with him that there's these big commercial um, entities moving into the vegan space. Um, no, I won't mention any names, but if you can make that choice and go, right, I'm going to support that independent pizza that's vegan though, and that ethics truly align as a global uh, entity and organization, then then yeah, go for someone like One Panic Pizza because uh, the pizzas are banging as well. And I couldn't agree with you more on that. <laughs> so, Blue, anyway, just just to drag you back to your own story then, yeah. uh, just, just tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I'll try and keep it short. So I finished my A-levels and went straight into a aerospace engineering apprenticeship for an organisation called Airbus. I worked in that industry, gained my apprenticeship, gained my degree, did that for nearly a decade. Um, I think right from the off, I knew it wasn't really for me. The, it was very formal setting. It was very constrained. It was, there wasn't that much creativity. Um, it's a very masculine, macho-dominated industry, quite cutthroat, quite ruthless. Um, sometimes we were working on military planes, and I refused to work on them. So I had quite strong ethics at sort of the age of 17, 18. 
so but the problem was is i just didn't listen to that intuition i didn't listen to that inner voice i wasn't um i wasn't that self-aware as a, as a youngster or a young adult and then as i continually buried that voice and, and carried on the job I, I climbed the career ladder very successful ended up working for them on global projects in europe in the states all around the world uh, flying business class anything you think which was which is great the, the the corporate dream as it was but i was um i was heavily depressed um not just because of the job there were some genetic um predispositions as well but the job was such a major factor um that i had i remember explicitly driving home from work it was the day before my 26th birthday and i i had a panic attack driving home in the car and i thought because i'd never heard of that word before i didn't know what depression was i didn't know what anxiety was i didn't have the emotional vocabulary or emotional intelligence i thought i was dying i thought it was a heart attack um and that that experience led me to eventually quit my job um and i traveled and backpacked around the world for two years and that that moment i left was slowly and surely these layers started peeling back and i started to question right what had i been taught what have i learned what am i doing that i don't really want to do because they've just been passed down to me as, as a story or a you must do this and that's when I started challenging things like, why do I eat meat? Um, why do I work in a career, a corporate job? Um, and I started stacking up all these different new, well, they were there already, but peeling back the onion layers, I find out, right, this is my core. These are my beliefs. These are my ethics. These are my values. And, and this is what I want to do. And I came back to Bristol and I said, look, I've got to change my career. I'm, I'm, I want to move into the social enterprise and third sector and, and youth mentor and, and work in mental health because I was lucky. I could quit my job financially. I was secure to an extent. All those people that aren't, that, that have to continue in these jobs they don't like, that don't get a break for their mental health. I've got to do something. And then I was, I was getting out of the shower one day and... I went to put on an aftershave and I was thinking, I don't think this aftershave is cruelty-free or vegan. Like, where can I get one? And I remember the weekend, I spent, I must have spent about 20 hours researching, going, right, is there a male brand that does what I want? And I couldn't find it. And I got really excited and I thought, like, this, this could work. Like, I, I need to take this somewhere for validation. And I got funding from the School for Social Entrepreneurs. I got a couple of grants, a business program, I crowdfunded to release the product on a pre-order basis. So I knew that the market was there before putting in any money. Like Mike said, minimal viable product. And we launched with one fragrance and it's been a roller coaster since then. Um, and I, I, yeah, I won't tell you where we are right now. I'll, I'll wait till that question comes up. Uh, it's, <laughs> no, yeah. but I, I mean, what your story there is really interesting, Blue, because I think with, with mental health struggles, so often people wait until they, they have a physical symptom, you know, to that mental health just bubbles over to actually affect you physically. And if we think that 20% of us will have to face a mental health struggle, you know, especially in the, in the workplace, um, I often wonder why we don't talk more about this as business owners, because that comparison is always made between physical and mental illness. So if you went out and, and you'd broken your arm, for instance, people would accept that you needed to do something about that. But if you're struggling with your mood or your thoughts, the most people we're just not open with that you know we, we we don't want to talk about it but if everybody struggles what's actually stopping us from being more open about it 
yeah, I think the world's in a lot better place than what it was when I went through my issues, which was probably six, seven years. So it's come on astronomical since then, but we've got we've got a hell of a lot of way to go. I think the subject in some circles is still highly taboo. Um, I think the people don't want to show their vulnerability. There's a lot of shame around mental health issues they're only going to get bigger especially as we go through things like a pandemic and we go through financial crisis and we go through more challenges pushed upon us by climate change like these this this model of bio psychosocial that that all congregate to mental health issues is just mm. getting fuller and fuller our, our our stress levels are going higher our our time is getting lower it's it's just a melting pot for for people that probably traditionally would have never suffered from mental health issues. I think we're seeing those that maybe a decade, 20 years ago would have no issues. Now the hospitals are at max, the, the helplines are at max. Um, we're seeing lots of people through the door at our talk club, social enterprise and, and people you just wouldn't expect. It, it can happen to anyone. Absolutely. Do you think some of that is tied in, So, especially if we're talking about business owners as well, do you think some of that is just tied in of what people's view of what success is, you know, what a successful business person looks like? Um, do, do you know that they're trying to play that role perhaps so that they don't want to be showing, they don't want to be exposing themselves? Yeah, yeah, you've got to think. I think it's slightly different in our industry, in the vegan industry, um, but it's it's a competitive market isn't it you you mm. show one element of weakness and and you've allowed your competitor to exploit that it's yeah you you show that vulnerability you show that that one ounce of weakness uh, and who knows how it's going to be exploited i think that's why people are a bit more nervous about showing it in the in the business and corporate world and you don't know how it's going to be taken we we have these illusionary faces that we present um but behind that face we've all got shadows and we've all got insecurities and we've all got other layers to us that we just don't bring to business and i think again that's becoming more of the norm but we are we are one yard to a to a marathon sprint on 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 progress really yeah, absolutely. But I don't think I've known a business owner and I've, I've owned many you know, businesses myself over years, but I don't think I've known any business owner who hasn't faced some some mental health struggles at some point in their career, usually quite regularly as well. So I, I think the more we can talk about this and the more we can put our hands up and say, yes, you know, I've been through this. Uh, you know, Tim, who introduced us, he's been through this. Mike's been through this. You've been through this. Um, the more we can see it as the norm. Uh, the, the better it is. Uh, you just mentioned Talk Club there again, though. And, and uh, just to introduce what Talk Club is, this is something that you started alongside King's Grooming, and, and it allows men to set up their own local support groups just to talk to each other about how they're feeling. So you set this up as a men's group. So do you think it, it is harder for men, especially to own up about their mental health? Yeah, again, I think even in that subset of the world, mental health and the communication of it is 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 even more taboo in, in male circles, especially if you look at certain demographics, uh, especially working class, um, black and minority ethnic groups, th these, these conversations are even more taboo. So it was my aim with a couple of friends to, to take these clubs to places where these conversations aren't happening and 
mm. being a catalyst for you can have these conversations come and join a club you don't have to say anything you can sit back and just witness what's going on and feel comfort that some of the emotions that you're feeling are shared by a whole spectrum of men um, we get men that come along to one session and that's enough for them and they leave we get men that drive two hours to come to a session uh, it's it's unbelievable i've sat next to business i've sat next to business owners in those sessions and they are they are up against it and they what they bring to the group they won't share with their family they won't share with their business partner they won't share with their friends because they feel so much pressure so much shame and like you said business owners are under extreme pressure and there is a strong correlation if you look at the research between entrepreneurs and mental health issues and there's an argument of what came first is it the mental health that drives us into entrepreneurship for the freedom for the mm chance to map our own destiny or is it the stress of running a business and the financial strain and the responsibility that drives the mental health i think it's a melting pot of both but it's a very interesting subject to explore i agree i think that's a really good observation blue uh, one thing i really picked up on when i was reading first about talk club and, and looking through your website is your own research stats say that the men who have attended a talk club rated their experience on average a nine out of ten so you know this is obvious that once someone actually starts talking about their mental health and, and you know and starts normalizing it it becomes a really positive experience yeah it's a really simple framework so we have four questions two hours how do you feel out of ten at the start um, what do you feel grateful for this week? What are you going to do for your mental health this week? And how do you feel out of 10 now? And I would say, yeah, well, the stats, 90% of the time, people come out of that session feeling better. Uh, it's not rocket science. It's just a community that's supportive, that people can come and share, not feel judged, and, and leave almost leave that in the room and go back to their lives. Because no one in that room knows them particularly well. So there's that freedom as well, freedom of expression, freedom of safety, and the people that run them have training. So if anything comes up that's too much, we can deal with that as well. And it's a, it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a magical thing, really. It's I never thought it would it would yield so much help for for men. So we're just trying to grow it as much as we can now. And that's a brilliant thing to hear. And, and I think th that we can't completely ignore what is happening in the world at the moment. You know, the extra impact that coronavirus has had, not just on us as individuals, but our businesses as well. And for yourself, I know that the pandemic hit a, a quite an interesting time for Kings, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, how do I explain this one? So for the past two years, I've been working, I try not to swear, very hard on building this brand building this product alongside uh, various other commitments got mm -hmm. two young children now the social enterprise the mentoring and part-time job as well and it was like right we're going to get to this point where we're investment ready we've we've proven the model we've got an mvp i've put in what i can risk wise we've got a startup loan like this is it we're we're going to make it uh, we just got HMRC seed enterprise investment scheme tax relief granted. So that meant that investors could offset the risk slightly. I'd warmed up investors for the past two years, got a few verbal yeses, and it was going to be about 150k round. And the week, I think it was about the week or two weeks before that was all going to be set off, Corona started becoming a, a real threat 
in the UK. We're also due to pitch to Virgin Atlantic for a for a duty free contract. So that would have been the sort of right. I can. This is it. This is real. I'm on this full time. Um, but unfortunately, they grounded their their mm. aircraft, and I think something like ninety percent of their staff were were put on furlough. And it was sort of a sand sand dripping through my hands moment. It was like, I can't, what do I grab onto? And it's and I just thought, I've worked my ass off, like physically and mentally, I am exhausted. I am broken. Um, I think the stress that I put myself under, I only understood when I took my foot off the gas. Um, Cause after I had a bit of a moan and a, and a cry for a couple of days, I just thought, right, I've got, I've got to take a break. Like, I'm not, I'm not clenching onto this. I've got to let go. Um, we were having another, our second boy in July. So I just thought mm. I need to recoup before this happens. So decided to just put all my efforts into talk club, get some more clubs set up. We managed to get a charity single out and uh, an alcohol-free beer as well, which is which was great. So it was just about going, my passion, yes, I love my brand, but the overarching passion is ethics and mental health. Doesn't That doesn't have to change. It might be a different vehicle. So I moved from Kings to Talk Club, but I can still push that energy, that passion, and, f- and feel like I'm making a real difference just in a different car. Um, and, and and that's been tough. It is, but I think that's a really important uh, part, part just to finish on there is, you know, so many people when change happens in life, they think that it is an end and it's pretty much what we what we said with, with uh, Mike earlier. But you can change what you're doing to get the same outcome, you know, just because uh, I, I love it. You just um, you said it was almost like a car. You can get out of one car and get into another car, but keep doing that journey. And I think that's amazing what, what you've been able to do over this time, too. Thanks. Yeah, that, that, that's brilliant. So uh, thank you very much, Blue. Uh, we, we could have probably very easily have, have spoken for a full hour on, on everything that you've been doing um, during the lockdown with your charity singles and your your um, alcohol-free beer. And we, I'm sure we can talk about a little bit more about that uh, when we get to the end. But I, I just want to wish you all the best of luck for Kings and whatever projects you decide to do next. But if people want to find out more about um, Kings and Talk Club and what you're doing, where do they go? Yeah, it's, it's kings-grooming.com for, for Kings. And it's wetalkclub.com if you want to come and join an online talk club session or a, a physical group or a run or a cycle, just come find us. That's brilliant. So thank you so much for that, Blue. Thanks, David. Okay, so we could have really done with an hour for everyone. We're getting such good stories out today. So maybe we will do a longer version of this one day. But our final uh, guest today uh, on today's panel is Lisa Fox, co-founder of both Promote Vegan, which is an agency helping brands and food manufacturers better connect with the vegan marketplace, and Vegan Business Tribe, which is an online community of over 1,000 vegan businesses. And as I said at the start, just to avoid any allegations of nepotism here, Lisa is actually my partner in both uh, business and life. But but Lisa, you actually took quite a big decision last year to go public when you got your diagnosis of autism. Now, we've just spoken with Blue about why people don't like to disclose their struggles. So what made you feel that you had to share that you'd been diagnosed with autism? <laughs> I, I did, but it wasn't an overnight thing with regards to one one day I thought it was non-autistic and then the next day it was suddenly a, a big thing. It You know, it takes, as anyone 
um, who's gone through a diagnosis will know it takes a long time and especially with lockdown and things. Um, so I'd been questioning myself for quite a while about if it came to the point where I did get a diagnosis of autism, what was I going to do with that? And so I had to question myself ethically about that as well, because I know there's, there's a lot of stigma and assumptions about autism. And there's a lot of misconceptions and misrepresentations, especially in the media. And I think a lot of people don't really understand that it's a neurological difference and that we just process things differently. And it can often be comorbid with other things like learning difficulties and personality disorders, you know, just like with any other thing. But it's not the same thing. Um, I was aware that a lot of reports of crimes, if it involved a person with autism, they always focused in on the autism. That was always in the headline uh, and not the comorbid conditions uh, and the interconnected nature of, of the problems that they have kind of all working together to produce that end result. And so it, it's meant that I think because of all these things, um, many people think that all autistic people can't speak or make overblown gestures constantly or have like way below average IQ or have way above average IQ or have some insane special talent or unemployable or violent or just can't function properly on a daily basis and definitely can't run a business. And people don't really understand that it's a spectrum and it affects everyone differently. And a spectrum doesn't mean kind of low functioning to high functioning. Um, it's more like a percussion board where, you know, you can kind of push different buttons and I, well, I'm just in this corner, but some people are over here and this one as well. And so it's kind of all over the place. And I really questioned myself because I thought if I, if I feel like I couldn't or shouldn't go public with it, then I kind of knew that I needed to go public or it meant that I was accepting that it's actually something that I should be ashamed of. And, I just thought if I'm not part of the solution, then I'm actually part of the problem. And I know I was really inspired by Blue's own personal journey and what he's been doing with Talk Club and how he's been trying to help. So I had to ask that question of myself that if I stay quiet about my own struggles, then who am I actually helping? And the answer is nobody. So being open about your struggles just helps to educate other people um, and help other people to be their authentic selves as well. I know when I came out, a few people said how brave it was of me to do that. And that word just actually makes me quite sad because it shouldn't be that way. You shouldn't need to be brave to just be honest. Absolutely. And I think that ties in with Blue Story really well. And it is true. You know, you mentioned there that if you didn't talk about this, you would be part of the problem. But many people who have autism and, and hidden disabilities, they don't work or at least they don't work full time, you know, a few of them actually run their own business but you are the co-founder of two vegan businesses at the moment but so were you worried you know that going public that you um are autistic might affect those businesses and just people's view of what your ability is yes i was terrified <laughs> absolutely terrified both personally and professionally and that's exactly why i felt like i needed to be out and proud about it um, if I'm terrified, then there's a there's an issue there and there's a social stigma there um, as well as a professional stigma. And again, I'd be part of the problem. And it's just that acceptance of, of I can be autistic and be amazing at what I do. Um, and again, that helps educate non-autistic people about autism. But it also helps other autistic people to know that they can achieve what many other people probably tell them that they can't or if they're listening to the media or 
or whatever, then they're thinking they can't do certain things. You know, I feel in some ways quite lucky that I found out later in life because it's potentially an issue that earlier diagnosis might have made me feel quite limited and it becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy and that if other people are telling me, you know, when I was young, if I'd have been diagnosed when I was five and I've spent my whole life with people telling me that I'm autistic and so I'm giving me lots of help, um, then I, I might have just thought that I just can't do things. Yeah. So it's, it's just really important to understand your own strengths and weaknesses and work with those rather than against them. Um, rather than kind of trying to fit my square peg into other people's lawn. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I know that one of the big reasons that you wanted to be open about your diagnosis, it, it was not just a challenge about stigma, but it was this, what you said about pretending. You know, you, I think you've spent most of your career and your life pretending not to be autistic. So do you think the big problem in business especially, and this does tie into what I was talking to Blue about, but there's a big problem with us comparing ourselves to other business owners, other people's view of what success is, and just not being honest and authentic. Hexagonal. Um, Yes, <laughs> I, I think I think it's kind of this fear of failure uh, as well. That it's um, and it's not just in terms of other people's definitions of, of failure. It's uh, whether that's physical things or monetary. It's, it's in terms of failure as a person that people will think badly of us, or people will want to work with us, or be a friend, or be in a relationship with us. And we're constantly being fed these images of supposed perfection and success and, and what we're meant to be as people. And the thing is that it's mostly faked. You know, that, that person's photoshopped, that car's borrowed, that apartment's a set. You know, they have a beautiful home, but they don't get to spend any time in it. Um, you know, their videos might promote how successful they are and then utterly admit them kind of crying in the bathroom three nights a week. And so if, if you keep comparing yourself to other people, then it's really an unfair comparison because You've got no idea what other people's struggles are either. And in reality, I've found that the more authentic you are and the more real you are, then the more people actually warm to you and accept you and, and the more you can encourage people to adjust their own perceptions of success and norms. Um, you know, what's helped me personally is, is doing something I'm really passionate about. So, you know, vegan business tribe is, is my passion, uh, but I can still get completely and utterly terrified at the responsibility of running my own business um but it does get better and less terrifying the longer i'm doing it and i'm sure that's the same for other people do but there are i think blue touched on it as well there are real benefits to running your own business as well if you're autistic because um you know in the past when i was an employee i was expected to do like a lot of social routines with colleagues and clients and it was really draining for me so when, at least when you have your own business, you can actually set your own boundaries. Yeah. So I know from, you know, having worked with you now full time, you know, those sort of boundaries is, uh, for instance, you're not always great on the telephone. So you can just not do work on the telephone. You can not give out a, a phone number. You don't have to be in an open plan office. So I'm guessing that by actually being authentic to your, authentic to yourself, uh, you've literally had to spend the time of your life pretending to be someone that you were not. Um, but do you think at some point that we all just realise that everyone else is just pretending? Well, I spent a whole lifetime thinking that everyone was pretending <laughs> and, and trying as hard as I was until I realised it was just me on a personal level. But with regards to professionally, 
then uh, after speaking to so many kind of business owners on a one-to-one basis, I think that everyone puts on a professional face uh, to one extent or another. And it's the, nobody, nobody really feels able to actually share their struggles because they feel it will kind of affect other people's perception of their professional abilities. And that leads to a serious lack of support. And the thing is, in, in this sector, in the vegan business sector, we all actually want to help each other. And we can't do that and support each other authentically if we aren't being human. And part of that is we <clears throat> we really need to be honest with ourselves and each other. Yeah. Um, or we actually remove the ability to support each other. as well. Absolutely. And I think you, you can get to the point where you realise that nobody's really being human, you know, <laughs> nobody's really being their authentic self. And that really does remove that ability to support, just as you were saying. And we talk about authenticity a lot in business and especially on social media and in building this relationship with your audience. Um, authenticity has become a bit of a buzzword. But what's the reaction been of people, you know, since that you decided to actually be your authentic self and come out with your, your, your autism diagnosis? Do you feel under less pressure of having Um Yes, <laughs> this is the short answer, I suppose. People that I've known for a really long time, there hasn't been much reaction other than a bit of surprise and then that's it. Um, to them, I'm, I'm still just kind of odd, weird, shy Lisa. And I think it's it's probably really hard to adjust and understand someone's struggle uh, when they've been pretending and masking as well as they can for their whole life. And the people who ha- I haven't known as long, I've generally had a, like, a really positive response. And it's been nice that like the like the public Facebook post where, that I did initially actually helped to empower some other people. There were some people that I don't even know. Uh, I think some some of my friends kind of shared the Facebook post and it got around a little bit and some people I didn't even know got in touch um, and just said how how it helped them and empowered them. Uh, I I found vegans especially supportive, but there's no surprise there. (laughs) I think I'm beginning to put myself under less pressure, but that's uh, definitely a journey for for me to take and I'm kind of still at the same yeah, and I think that's really important what you just touched on there at the end about how when you come out with something like this, and I know when we put a post out on Facebook about your autism and the struggles that you do face on, on a daily basis, we got so many messages of people coming back and saying, actually, could, uh, have you got 10 minutes to chat with us? You know, this is something I feel that I've been going through as well. Um, so it really did put the story out there. And again, it came back to normalizing. And I think that's the theme that's coming out of today's session is normalizing these things that we don't talk about. Yeah, I think again, yeah, as as Roel said, the more that you actually speak about this, then the more normalised it becomes. Um, And the more, I'll say, courage it gives other people to be open about their own struggles. And again, that comes back to what I said at the beginning. Courage is a really bad word because you shouldn't need to be courageous to speak about your struggles. You shouldn't need to be courageous to speak about your authentic self. So speaking out about it, the more of us that do it, then uh, the better it's business. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think we're, we're trying to do a little bit of that at Vegan Business Tribe, aren't we? You know, the the face that we put out there, both you you and myself, you know, it, it is quite choreographed, you know, things are quite often scripted and things like that. But we have been trying to now, you know, bring in some of the authentic Lisa and David and, 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 and you know, just maybe not cut off the videos at the end so you can see how we really are and things like that. And, and that's gone down really well. So 
Just as a closing point, though, if, if someone is, is living and working in a similar situation, either what is described as a hidden disability like autism, as, as you have, or they just feel trapped having to pretend to be something that they're not in business, what advice would you give to them? I, I think it's a case of we're all so quick to be kind of kind and compassionate to other people, but we've really got to be kind and compassionate towards ourselves. Um, and don't expect other people to be compassionate about what you're what you're actually experiencing, um, what you're experiencing at the time. If you're not being completely honest with them about your struggle, uh, you'll often find a better and kinder response than you're expecting if you're being honest. Uh, if you try and be honest and they still don't understand, use some resources. Ask if they'd be willing to read a book or watch a YouTube video. <laughs> um, and find other people who are actually experiencing similar things. Do look for support because there's so many people out there who are struggling the same way that you are, no matter what your struggle is. Um, and the, one of the main things is to actually work out your strengths and your passions and work with those. Work towards them. You know, stop working against just them. Absolutely. And I think people's reactions, they'll always be far more positive and supportive than that they think you will be, you know, just, just from what we've got back from your own announcements and that. Um, but tying into what Blue was saying and what Mike was saying, when you actually go out and, and you are brave, you know, and it's a term we don't like, but when you actually go out there and you are honest and you are authentic, people's reactions are always far better than you think they're going to be. It, it, it's never as bad as you're fearing, is it? No. <laughs> An answer. No, absolutely. Thank you very much. So, thank you, Lisa. So, uh, but if people have a vegan business and want to know more about Vegan Business Tribe, where do they go? So, so just come to the website. So that's uh, veganbusinesstribe.com. Um, we've got the podcast on all major platforms as well. And I run our Instagram. Just search for vegan. Go to find out. That is absolutely brilliant. And thank you so much, Lisa. Now, I, I think you will all agree that that was three conversations that we don't usually have as, as business owners. So I'm going to just bring everyone back into a group conversation, if we can get everyone back on screen again, uh, just to have a conversation about what we've just heard. And, and, and Mike, I, I want to come to you first. Um, can I just ask you what, what resonated the most with the conversations that I, I've just had with, with Blue and Lisa? Mm -hmm. uh, and Blue and Lisa, yeah, feel free to jump in uh, with your own comments. I guess the sort of the the themes that follow through all our experiences is about um, being authentic, isn't it? And uh, authenticity. And I think if people, um, I, I remember when uh, you know, managing the debts uh, that had built up, we owed quite a lot of money. But and it's so easy when things go wrong to ignore them and put them to the back of your mind and not address them. But nearly pretty much every problem in life is much better once you address it and it's never as bad as you think it's going to be. So when we contacted the four or five companies that we owed money to and explained the situation, I was it was it was actually probably one of the best businesses experience negotiating with them and setting up the debts and repaying them over a period of three years. I was amazed what we could actually uh, achieve and what they were happy to accept. Yeah. But if we had just left that and it ended up going through the courts, um, it would have increased the cost we would have ended up going um, formally bankrupt and so you know that was actually surprisingly a positive experience and something that really stood me in good stead dealing with dealing with debt in that sort of open way 
Absolutely. And Blue, is this something that you agree with as well? You know, especially picking up what, what Lisa was just speaking about, about this pressure of having to mask in business to present this image of a successful and competent business owner. You know, can you present just as strong an image if you are more honest, more honest and authentic with your audience? Yeah, that's a that's a tricky question. I think I think we'd all like to be as honest and upfront and show our, our real faces at all times. But it, but in reality, um, that's not always the case, is it? I think we are in a special industry where that's a lot easier and that there's a better community. The networks are stronger. They're less superficial. Um, this this conversation, for an example, mm. uh, and, and speaking to people like Mike and Lisa and yourself, that, that's a prime example. I just think it's, it's human nature, isn't it? The more, the more of us that do it, the more people that will follow, feel empowered, feel safe, and it's it's normal, isn't it? Like we're, at the end of the day, we're all humans. We experience a range of emotions and a range of challenges. There's there's not that much difference between us. Anything to add to that, Lisa? No. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I, I love that result because, you know, this is something that we actually try to um, uh, avoid when, when we put it out there. But that is an extraordinarily artistic and honest answer. That you've <laughs> but the thing is, that this is the great thing about actually being diagnosed now that, you know, a year ago, I would have felt really pressured and I would have panicked and then, oh, no, it's come to me. And then trying to think of something to say and stumbling over myself, whereas now I'm OK to say no. Like I'm, what they just said is really great. I can't really add to that. <laughs> yeah. but, fantastic. But I, I mean, I'm just going to pick up on one point that you did say. Um, you know, in when you spoke back to us, Lisa, you talked about the idea of being terrified that you're actually running your own business instead of being employed. So, w where do you think that comes from? Because we know the reality is, if a business fails, then you can always just go find a job. You know, or you can set up another one. So, coming back to this point about the stigma of failing, where, where, where do you think that comes from? I think it's it's um, it's not actually about other people. It's about me and feeling safe. And for some reason, you know, I was employed for a long time um, rather than actually running my own business. You know, for the first long time in my career, I was actually employed. So um, I was used to that being the safest route. And I know you, David, you kind of say to me, yeah, but if you actually run your own business, you're in control and you can see actually things that are going to happen. You can put things in place. You can try and avoid certain things. Whereas if you're an employee, you often have no idea what's actually going on in the business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you if, if it goes under, then you don't even see it coming. You know, you're working there one day, the next day the doors are closed. Um, but it's really hard, I suppose, for a lot of people. I think when, when you've been used to being employed for a long time, you see that paycheck coming in. You don't have to worry about certain parts of the business. You have your targets. You hit them. You know, you're fine. You just go home. You forget about it for the weekend. Mm -hmm. So it's um, it's terrifying, I think, actually knowing that I'm in charge. <laughs> maybe if something goes wrong then oh i messed up and maybe i could have done something about that so it's just it's being able to adopt a different mindset that takes quite some time i think to adjust to absolutely and mike i just want to bring you in on that on that comment because it's it's something that blue talked about as well you know this this whole idea of the mindset of a business owner, is it the fact that, you know, because somebody is more open to depression or, or more open to, to mental health problems, that they go and set up their own business? Is this something that you've seen as well, that just far more people who own their own businesses, they are just very open to, to mental health struggles? Yeah, I don't know. It's difficult to say which one follows which, isn't it? 
because it could be the sort of person that sets up a business that's more open to that or it could be that if you set up your own business you get more of it um <laughs> because of the strains and 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 stresses i mean i i personally i think anyone who sets up their own business and i know we've got to be careful about using that word it is an incredibly brave thing to do because it's not it's it's definitely not the norm in our society and culture i think there are other and i'm not necessarily mean america but there's probably a lot of um countries where um that are perhaps you know less less developed in inverted commas where it's there's a lot more small businesses around and they're the biggest part of the economy and you know 50 percent of people may be running their own business uh, in some sort of way whereas you know the figures in this country uh, must be must be a lot smaller so i don't i, I don't know dale i don't i i, th I think one interesting thing i think uh, if you may have heard of this the imposter syndrome i think that's one of the biggest challenges to people running their own businesses there's these conversations that are going on in your head all the time and there's almost a built-in part of us which always says well you're actually not very good at this and you know why are you doing it and and you're not really a business person you're just playing at being a business person yeah. and i think that's one thing to really be but if you're aware of that you know, that there is that always in most people this part of you which is constantly saying you know you're not worthy of this and, and you call you and, and you don't really know what you're doing um and and, and just just being aware of that and the fact that that's going to continuously come up in your mind i think is a really you know powerful um a powerful thing to be aware of i think so so uh, how can we fix this then you know so the whole theme today is the things that we don't talk about in business do you think that business would be all the better if we did start talking more about these things yeah i think it would and i i also think when you when you run a business and especially when you start bringing in people to work for you i think if you can have conversations that are difficult with your employees and with your team not only is that going to pay back dividends in their well-being but it, it, it will pay back in dividends in your, your financial situation as well. It, it, this has been proven when humans connect on level mm. that's deeper than the superficiality. We want to work harder. We feel um, connected to what we do. We, we want to we go the extra mile. Um, and I think once big business starts to see that, like they've saw the headlines in, in vegan food, once they see that, once you crack well-being and, and have these conversations that they'll get on the bandwagon as well but we'll just get there first yeah and i think it is these larger companies which, which will need to be seen to do this because so many companies at the moment talk about the mental health of their employees being so important but when that deadline rolls around you know all that tends to go out of the window doesn't it the extra mm. hours come in, the crunch goes in yeah yeah and i think that's where if you've got that ability to have an honest conversation and you've got that relationship with the business that you work for or the leader that you're following, you, you can bring that up at the time. And if they're just not doing tick box exercises, they'll, they'll value your mental health and your well-being. And, th and that's the true test of, is it just tick box or do they actually care about people and mental health? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so just as a final question then that, that anyone can jump in on, um, where does our veganism come in on this? You know, we, we've talked about it a lot. Is it because that we're all vegans and we've all got vegan businesses? Does that mean that we do just connect to each other, you know, more and we can talk about these things? Is it because we're operating in, in a safe space, you know, and we can be all honest and more supporting with each other just because we're all on the same mission and we've got the same ethics? 
Yeah, I would say that I, I, I can't think of too many other uh, sectors which have such a great shared value ethics and, and um, purpose as well. I mean, there probably are some that perhaps operate in, um, you know, in, in charity sectors or in environmental uh, or sustainability. You know, perhaps they, they would be the, but if you think of a sector, you know, uh, such as IT or legal service or financial services, they, they don't have the, um, the overarching purpose that's driving most, not all, but most vegan businesses, most plant-based businesses have, have a greater a calling, don't they, a, a greater purpose behind them. I think the difficulty is, uh, and I've always said this, is that it's a bit like turning vegan, but not thinking about you know, how healthy your diet should be. It's not sustainable. You know, there's no point, in, to my mind, in being vegan just for the animals if you eat a rubbish diet because you're not doing anyone a favour yourself or the movement because you won't be able to keep it up. And you'll be another example of someone who's been vegan for a few months and then failed. And I think the same applies to a certain extent to vegan businesses, that it's really important that vegan businesses stand along any other sort of business. And we have the same uh, attitude towards sustainability or and profit. Even if that profit isn't distributed in any way, you can be, a, you know, it needs to be sustainable, even if you're a social, um, social cooperative or a community interest company or whatever, it still needs to be sustainable. It's, so it's not necessarily about profit, it's about sustainability. And if we have an awful lot of vegan businesses which set up and aren't sustainable, uh, then I, I think, you know, that is something that is, is concerning. So I think, hence, it's really important that, that we do help uh, other vegan businesses to be sustainable and to be realistic and to have good business and manager, management ethics. Absolutely. And, and I think that's an absolutely brilliant point just to bring us to a close on, because I am sorry to say that that we, we are now out of time. And I think we could have easily spent a, an hour with each of our guests today. So I just want to say thank you so much for your time today. And not just our three vegan business experts, but everyone who's watching or listening to this either live or replay on the Vegan Business Tribe podcast, which I'm, I'm sure I'll be putting it out on. But just to give ourselves a little plug as well, if you do have a vegan business or you're thinking about starting one, then Vegan Business Tribe is here to support you and also inspire you, not just to have a vegan business, but to have a successful vegan business as well, whatever your definition of success is. Mm -hmm. And you can find lots more great content just like this on our website at veganbusinesstribe.com or on the weekly podcast as well. You can also join, as Tim mentioned at the start our paid monthly membership and that gets you access to all our online networking events our workshops our forums even our vegan marketing course and just to meet all these other like-minded business entrepreneurs and and vegan business owners who are on the same mission uh, on the same mission as you so as a thank you and as a reminder as well of who our three guests were today we were joined by mike hill of one planet pizza and make sure you do go out and check out their cheeseburger pizza, which they've made in partnership with, with Meatless Farm and Applewood Cheese. It is amazing. Uh, we also spoke to Blue O'Connor of King's Grooming and Talk Club. And again, you can buy the King's Aftershave from there and their clothing as well online. And you can also pick up a case of Clearhead alcohol-free beer online, uh, which Blue is involved with from Bristol Beer Factory website. And finally, also Lisa Fox from Vegan Business Tribe. And you can also join Lisa on a Make It Happen Goal Setting and Accountability Workshop every month over on the Vegan Business Tribe website. 
Well, I really hope you listen to that one right to the end, even if you did it over a couple of sessions. Now, of course you did listen right to the end, otherwise you wouldn't be listening to me now, I know that. But we covered such important business topics then that are just not spoken about enough. And like I said, I could easily have spent an hour talking to each panellist. So, next week, we should be back to our normal running time. But if we've learned anything today, it's about how important it is to have support from people who understand why you are doing what you are doing. So I would love to see you over on the website so you can get involved with our full vegan business tribe community to support you too. And as always, if you can just, before you go, tap the subscribe button or leave us a five-star review if your platform allows you to do that, or even share this podcast with other people who you think would benefit from the information and the support. If you do any of these things, I will be forever in your debt. So thank you so much for your time. I always hugely appreciate you taking the time out of your, what I know is a very busy week to listen. And I will see you on the next one.